0: So, we are in Romans 12, verse 2. Uh, here at the start of uh, 2024, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're resetting, essentially, by looking at what's most important, which is following Jesus. I, I shared with you last week. Living in a growing area like this, this is the first time I've ever ministered in an area that's growing numerically, and that, that's been an exciting opportunity. Uh, That means that if we're preaching the gospel, if we're living the gospel, then our church is going to grow numerically. But that is not the goal. If it's not happening, it's probably a sign we're not doing something right. But the goal is not to get big. Remember what we said last week, if we want to get big, let's just preach cheap grace. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, real followers of him. That's what the world needs to see. And that's what we need to be. So Romans 12, I said, is, is an excellent guide to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And last week, we started with a one-sentence definition of discipleship, which is offer your bodies as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ. To, to lay down yourself, to lay down your life at the altar and say, my life is your, yours, Lord. Whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you, wherever you send me, I will go, but I am at your command. And that's what it means to be a disciple. And that's not something you just decide one day and then it's true the rest of your life. It is a call you have to continually renew. And I told you the rest of chapter 12 fleshes that out. and shows you what it takes to live that way. So uh, I want to begin this way. In, In the movie Braveheart, there's a scene early in the movie, uh, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, it takes place in Scotland in the, in the Middle Ages, and they're under the, the thumb of a cruel English king. Uh, this little boy, William Wallace, has just had his father and brother murdered by the English. Uh, his uncle Argyle comes down from the highlands to take possession of him and to raise him up for the rest of his childhood. Uncle Argyle stands there, long beard, one eye, uh, just kind of a scary looking guy. Uh, and they're listening to these, these, uh, men blow bagpipes in the darkness as they're, they're playing songs of mourning for those who have died. And, and little William looks over at his uncle and he sees this big claymore hanging from his belt. And the uncle sees him staring at that sword and he pulls it out and he hands it to him and the little boy holds it for just a few seconds and then he takes it back and he bends over and he taps him on the forehead and he says, first, you need to learn to use this and then I'll teach you to use this. And I think about that when I read this passage. This is another verse, Romans twelve two, that I think every Christian should have memorized because it's so foundational to what it means to be a Christian. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have this tendency as Christians, and in all good intention, by the way, To say, I want to follow Jesus. Therefore, I will do my best to, to obey all the commandments, be a good person, live out my faith in a way that's glorifying to Him, and we inevitably fail again and again and again. And then we get discouraged. And I know people, and maybe you've maybe you've been one of them in the past, who have dropped out of church, not because of anything the church did. Not because they stopped believing the doctrines of scripture, but simply because they were embarrassed to go back knowing how many times they'd failed and felt like, obviously, this is not for me. I'm incapable of doing this. And what I want to say to them is, yes, so am I. We're all incapable. We're like that little seven or eight year old boy. We can't wield this massive sword. We have to grow into it. And it starts by using this. It starts by changing the way we think. It starts by renewing our minds. So what does that entail? What do we have to do as Christians? Believe it or not, this is a two-point sermon. Did you know that was legal in Baptist churches? <laughs> only have two points. You know, sometimes I don't have any points. I preach pointless sermons sometimes, and you may have noticed. But um, two points. But, but I'm going to have to be really direct. So gird up your loins, toughen your skin, whatever it takes. Uh, if you get mad at me, then you know the Lord will forgive you and I will too, but uh, two things. In order to really renew our minds and grow in Christ, we have to admit the ways we're being influenced and we have to change the voice we listen to, all right? There's your two points. So let's talk about the first. Admit the ways you're being influenced. So when Paul writes... Uh, do, my, do not be conformed to this world. It's interesting because the Bible talks about the world all the time. I've shared this with you before, and it depends on the, the way it's used. Sometimes it's a positive sense. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Other times it's a negative sense. Do not be a friend of the world. Anyone who's a friend of the world can, is an enemy of God. But in this case, the word in Greek, because Paul wrote in Greek, the word in Greek that Paul uses is not the same Greek word that he uses normally. Instead, this is a word that literally means age. Do not be conformed to this present age. What it's acknowledging is every age, every era of history has a different set of values. I mean, even we, we're more aware of that than any uh, culture, I think, because we, we pay attention to generations, right? Many of you are baby boomers. You're part of that generation. And you look at people like me, I'm in Generation X, and especially my kids who are millennials or Gen Z, and you go, man, their values are completely different than mine. So what Paul is saying is, don't conform to the values of your generation, of your age. Instead, be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to point out two other passages where that term is used in the New Testament. The first one is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, where it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Remember, Paul is writing in a Roman context. Rome ruled everything. It's sort of like today, American culture is exported around the world. And you go to Egypt, or you go to Singapore, or you go to Chile, and you'll see American movies and American products, and you'll see the golden arches of McDonald's, and that was the way it was with Rome, with Greek and Roman culture. It was everywhere. Corinth, especially. Corinth was a Greek city. I I tell people that in many ways, Corinth was like the Las Vegas of its day. If Las Vegas was considered a holy city, and the things that are done there were considered as holy actions, that was Corinth, so you can imagine what it was like to be uh, planting a church in a city like that. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, listen, there are values in your age that people just believe. And you believe them too, Corinthians. Even though you're Christians, you believe them too because that's the that's the world you live in. It's It's the values you live in. It's like how a fish doesn't notice the water it's swimming in. A trout doesn't notice that it's swimming in fresh water, and a shark doesn't notice it's swimming in salt water until you put them in the opposite kind of water. And then they go, hey, what's up? And, and these Corinthians, they just the, these values that they imbibed, that they lived in, they were just the values they'd been taught. They didn't think there was anything right or wrong about it. That was just life. So some of the values that, that they grew up in were, for instance, polytheism. The idea that it wasn't just one God, there were many gods. So everything you saw had a God behind it. And by the way, if you remember high school, when you learned Roman and Greek mythology, and those were interesting stories, yes. But did you ever stop and think how horrifying it would be if those gods were real? If that's what ruled the universe? Gods who had no moral compass, gods who were like drunk teenagers at spring break, right? That just did what they wanted and and used people for their own goods. And so, in Rome, for instance, in Greece, if you wanted to be a good person, you didn't go to a priest, you didn't go to religion. Religion just brought you good luck. It didn't make you better. You went to a philosopher for that. That was one of the values of Roman society that, that the Corinthians grew up with. Uh, sexuality. The idea was that if you were a man, especially a high-born man, then you could do whatever you wanted to anybody, male, female, child, adult. You could do whatever you wanted, and there was no such thing as consent, and there was no such thing as as protecting the lives of children. It was just whatever a man wanted to do, he did. That was a value of their age. It sounds uh, disreputable, disgusting to us, but to them it was just normal life. And then the race for honors, that's a third value they believed in. This idea that you were born as either a slave or a senator or somewhere in between, but your life's goal. To to be a success in life meant that you rose up. If you were a slave, you became a freedman. If you were a freedman, you became a citizen. If you were a citizen, you became an equestrian, a nobleman. If you were a nobleman, you aspired to be a senator. You were always trying to advance socially and economically. Those were values that the Corinthians believed in. And Paul says, the God of this age has made you think that's truth. So you just accept it without questioning. There's a second uh, time that passage is used, that, that word age is used, and that's Galatians 1.4. It says he, meaning Jesus, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. And why, the reason I wanted to point that out is if you're like me and you grew up in a church like this, at an early age, someone shared the gospel with you, In fact, if you're a Christian at all, it's because someone shared the gospel with you. Let me just say that. And likely, the way they shared it with you was something like this. Believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. Trust in the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, his grace to save you from your sin so you won't spend eternity apart from God. It's all couched in the language of save your soul so that you can spend eternity with God instead of apart from him, right? And that's all true. And yet, if you read the New Testament, it's amazing how rarely it's, it's presented that way by the apostles. Usually it's presented more like this. Jesus died not just to save you from hell. Jesus died to save you from this present age to save you from the values of this present age, to save you from the way this world thinks. He he died in the Corinthians context, in the Galatians context, he died so you wouldn't believe in this pantheon of immoral gods that can't help you, but in one true God. Who saves you and sets you free uh, to live a different kind of life? He he died so you wouldn't use sexuality as something that, an urge that you can fulfill anyway, anytime you want, no matter who it hurts, but instead as something beautiful that God has designed for one specific, beautiful purpose that blesses all of the society. He, he died so that you wouldn't see the point of life as increasing your social status, but instead. The point of life is to love others, to give yourself away joyfully, cheerfully, for the sake of God. You know, every culture has its own values. Every age has its own values. I, 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 uh, I think about the story my daughter Kaylee told me. Some of you know she teaches Japanese at, at Oak Ridge High School, and she told me a story about that she had read about a Japanese foreign exchange student who came over here, and uh, one of the early early in this student stay in America, he came home from high school and uh, the rest of the family was all in their various different parts of the house and he was sitting in the kitchen because he was real hungry. So he's just thinking, I don't want to miss supper. And the mom comes in and she sees him sitting there and she says, oh, Are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? Now, in his culture, one of the highest values is you have to be very polite. You have to show honor to a a host. And therefore, you don't want to seem like you're pushy or or demanding. And so if someone offers you something, your first response is always no. And then they come back and offer a second time. And then it's okay to say yes. That's a value in his culture. So she said, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? He said, no, I don't. And she said, okay. And she left. (laughs) And what he didn't understand is, in America, sad to say, a lot of times, every member of the family just fends for themselves supper-wise. There's no meal around the table. And so he ended up not eating at all that night. Starving, right? Now, an American teenager in that same situation wouldn't have just said, yes, I'm hungry. He would have asked hours before, when is supper? Or if no one was in the kitchen, he might have said, well, I guess I'll just make myself a sandwich and if I have to pay you back later, I will. Because our value is on individualism and taking care of yourself, right? You see what I mean? We don't even understand how different that is, how odd that is until we're in a different culture. What I'm saying is we need to let the values of the scriptures shape our values instead of the values of our age, of our culture, I think sometimes it's easy for us as Bible-believing evangelicals to look at other Christians and say, look, look at how they're conforming. Look, look at the Church of England that has just now decided that it's okay to bless same-sex marriages. Obviously, they're, they're being influenced by their culture. They're buying into the values of the prevailing culture of their day. And yes, that's true. But what about us? See, there's a big difference between the values that we're swimming in in Montgomery County And the values that they're swimming in in England, in London, or closer to home in Austin. hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but if you've ever lived there, values that you hear in Austin are different than the ones you hear in Montgomery County. And you're like, yeah, that's why I live here, Jeff. But you need to understand the values of Montgomery County are no more biblical than the values of Austin, And while you might say, man, I wouldn't fit in in a a dinner party made up of all the the women's studies majors at UT Austin, you shouldn't really fit in in a dinner party of the, the local NRA in Montgomery County either. You should find yourself standing out. You should find yourself seeming a little bit weird to your friends. And I don't mean randomly, arbitrarily weird like the guy who says, well, I don't care. I'm never watching Star Wars. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to. Everybody else has seen it. I don't want to see it. Or the guy who has the same haircut that he had in high school, even though he doesn't have enough hair to pull it off, right? There's, there's arbitrarily weird, and that's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, just for example, you might be a man who hangs around a lot of alpha male types, but you choose to be humble and gentle, You might be a woman whose friends are just consistently savage to anybody who's insulted her or insulted them or or inconvenienced them, but you choose to forgive quickly and speak kindly of those, even those who aren't nice to you. You might work in a place where people love to complain about their job, about their boss, about their spouse, everything else in life, but you choose to say only things that convey joy and peace. Peace. You might be in a Bible study here at church or somewhere else where everybody's always mad. Everybody's always angry about the state of the world. And those people out there, and you're the one that keeps saying, yeah, but you know that Jesus loves those people, right? And it's our job to show love to them. And if we're being followers of Jesus, they'll know that they're loved by us. Your kids may go to a school where every other kid's parents are focused on buying a bigger house and, and driving a nicer car and, and better clothes for the kids and getting them into the right school and you're teaching your kids, actually there's more joy in being generous than accumulating stuff. Real happiness is found not in what you gain, but in what you give. See, if, if you find that you fit in perfectly well in Montgomery County, if you say, you know, this place, I love this place because everything my neighbors believe are things that I believe, then ask yourself the question, are you being influenced by the values of your age instead of letting the word of God tell you what is true? So let me challenge you. In fact, this isn't the end of the sermon. But I want to take a moment to give you time to pray, like 30 seconds, and just say, Lord, show me where I'm being influenced by the values of my age and my neighborhood and my county and my friends instead of influencing them. Would you do that? Would you bow before the Lord? Lord, please give us honesty in our hearts that we might see, Oh, Holy Spirit, show us, where we're hearing and listening to the world instead of to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The second thing, admit that you're being influenced by the voices of this world, but then, number two, change the voice you listen to. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind will not be renewed unless you hear the word of God and listen to the word of God. So anybody here who's a parent has probably had the fall, a similar conversation to the one I'm about to tell you about with at least one of their kids. So when Will was in kindergarten, one day I picked him up from school and on the way home, it's was a very short drive. We lived very close to his elementary and I could look into the rearview mirror and see his big blue eyes sitting right behind me and trying to talk to him about what'd you learn today. And all of a sudden he piped up and said, Hey dad, is bleep a bad word? <laughs> now you can fill in that bleep with whatever you want, but it's probably the worst word you can think of. Unless you've got a dirtier mind than mine. <laughs> so, of course, after regaining control of the car. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, buddy, that's a, that's a really bad word. And then before I could say anything else, he said, so, like, I shouldn't say get the bleep out of the way. And I said, no, <laughs> you definitely should not. In fact, uh, Will, two things. Number one, I never want to hear you ever say that word again. And, and number two, we don't need to talk to mom about this, okay? <laughs> you and I have dealt with this. She doesn't need to know that this was a question in your mind. Now, I'll give him full credit because I have never heard my son use that word again, thank God. But as soon as we walked in the house, he went right up to Carrie and said, did you know bleep is a bad word? <laughs> and of course she says, where did you hear that? And he says, Max. Max was a kid in his kindergarten class. Max had an older sister, right? Right. So, uh, what did we do? We didn't take him out of the school. We didn't, we didn't just say, okay, you, you can't be there around anybody who uses that language. We didn't, we didn't go take out Max either, as much as we might have wanted to. But uh, we said, listen, Will, don't listen to Max, listen to us. You see, Jesus, See, Will did the right thing. He went to the source. He didn't know. He heard a word that was unfamiliar to him. I'm glad it was unfamiliar to him. He came to us and said, is this okay? And that's what we should do. With the values that we hear, that we imbibe, with the things that we hear, with the voices, man, there are voices speaking to us throughout the day. You know how connected to media we are today. We're constantly reading something, listening to something, overhearing something, seeing things on billboards and magazine covers in the grocery store. And then there's the conversations we have at the water cooler or right before Sunday school starts or, or whatever the case may be. We are, we are in it, just swimming in values and voices and messages, and we need to bring all those before the Father and say, is this Okay. Is this right? Is this true? We need to bring it to the way, the truth, and the life. So how do we do that? I'll get to that in a moment. But first, I I need to impress upon you how important this is. Because I'm afraid some of you might say, I don't need to worry about the voices I listen to. I go to church. I'm here every Sunday. Look, I'm here on a day when it is way too cold. and That shows how devoted I am. I'm good. So I need to give you a couple of examples of why this is important. So I've been married uh, not as long as some of you, but it'll be 32 years in May. And I can stand here saying, I can stand here and honestly say that aside from my relationship with Jesus, that's been the most important relationship of my life. The biggest blessing in my life, other than Jesus, has been my marriage to Carrie. It has made a huge difference in me, brought me joy, and helped me become a better man. And yet, I know that there are voices in our age that if I listened to, would destroy that. There are voices that say, yeah, but you know, you're not getting any younger and you should have more fun. There are voices that say, you know, you deserve a different kind of life. There are voices that would tell me, you know, she doesn't treat you what the way you deserve. There are voices that would have me find fault and and, and find reasons to be unhappy. You can't be content. Surely you realize that life should bring you more pleasure. And if I listened to those voices, it wouldn't be long before the second biggest blessing of my life would be over. And that wouldn't just be a penalty to me and to Carrie. Think about what it would do to my children who would know they've seen all their lives the way their mom treats their dad. And then for their dad, to say I'm unhappy and walk out, what would that do to them and their faith in God? What would that do to this congregation after you've, for nearly eight years, listened to me talk about the love of Jesus and laying down your life for others and husbands must uh, love their wives as Christ loved the church and then I pull a stunt like that. What would that do to hundreds of people and the people they know? You see the, the damage that is done by one person choosing to listen to the wrong voices. I think about that. Now, let's pick on you for a minute for my second example. Let's say you get some new next-door neighbors, and they are the nightmare neighbors. Maybe, maybe because they play their music loud all night long sit out in the backyard and have parties and just blast their music and keep you up. Maybe they throw trash in their yards and that trash blows over into your yard. Maybe because uh, they're living a very godless lifestyle and they've got signs out in their front yard that are offensive to you. And so when you walk out the door with your kids, you have to say, okay, kids, don't look over there. Don't look over there. I don't want you to be exposed to all that. Maybe they're just from a different culture and the smell of their food makes you physically nauseated. But for whatever reason, ever since they moved in, your life has been miserable. So there are voices in our age that say, stand up for yourself. Take responsibility. Go fight fire with fire. Don't let anybody step on your rights. Don't let anybody inconvenience you. And so there's any number of things you could do. You could you could report them to the find all kinds of petty reasons to report them to the HOA. You could write little passive aggressive notes on next door or Facebook. We've read those notes, right? Hopefully you haven't written those notes, but maybe. Or you could take a more direct approach and do things to fight back with them. If they're gonna blast their music until three AM at five thirty, you're gonna crank up the Statler brothers singing How Great Thou Art. I mean you're gonna just you're gonna you're gonna fight fire with fire. It's a great song, by the way. But don't think that's what it's meant for. And if you do that, maybe you'll win. Maybe you will win. Although History tells me it's just going to escalate from there and get worse and worse. But maybe, maybe they'll say, this isn't worth it, we're moving out, and then you'll celebrate not knowing that what you've actually done is, is permanently inoculate them against the gospel. <laughs> and not just them, but everybody they talk to from then on. Do you, want to tell, you want me to tell you what Christians are really like? I used to live next door to a family of Christians, and let me tell you what they're really like. Why? Because you listened to the wrong voice. Because you bought into the values of this present age instead of conforming your mind to the gospel. Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and I need to be clear, that doesn't happen just when you listen to a sermon. Sermons are good. I wouldn't do this every week if they weren't. It doesn't happen just because you read a devotional. Devotionals are fine. I wouldn't write one every day if they weren't. It doesn't happen just because you hang out with some Christian friends on a regular basis. That's a good thing. That's why we have life groups. But you've got to go to the source. If you really want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you have to go to the word of God yourself. And I know that's intimidating. And I know many of you would say, I've tried and I've failed. But let me tell you something. When I And this is... Let me tell you when I first started reading the Bible for myself. I was 19 years old. You know what else happened when I was 19? That's when I started dating Carrie. And that's not a coincidence because when we started dating, I thought I was a good Christian until I met her and started dating her. And then I realized, oh, wow, she is spiritual maturity. She's here and I'm here. And I think I can bluff that for a while. I think I can fake it for a while, but she's going to see through me. And if she does, she's going to dump me. And so I literally started reading the Bible so my girlfriend wouldn't break up with me. All right. True story. So it doesn't matter the value, I mean, the the motives. God started to change my mind. You know, the first sign I knew my my thoughts were being changed, my mind was being changed from my little one chapter of the Bible a a day that I read. The first sign was when the preacher said, hey, turn in your Bibles to Obadiah, I all of a sudden knew where Obadiah was. But beyond that, I started having these, where did that come from thoughts? Like, oh my gosh, I, I know truth now. My, my friends, most of whom weren't Christians, would, would say something uh, on a spiritual level and I'd say, well, okay, but here's what I believe and here's why. I'd be making a decision or, or see some situation in life and, and suddenly the words of Scripture would pop into my head. That's from one chapter a day. That's the difference it made to get the Word of God into my brain. And since then I've learned... That whenever I'm in a spiritual funk and I'm not growing and I'm, I, I'm stagnant in my relationship with God, if I just look at, okay, what am I doing to get the Word of God into my life? Well, then I need to do something more. If I'm, if I'm reading a couple of chapters, well, then maybe I can read more or maybe I can slow down and, and focus on one book at a time or maybe I can start meditating on the Word of God, not just reading it. Or maybe I can start journaling and writing down what I'm learning. Whatever I'm doing to get the Word of God into my mind, if I just do more... All of a sudden, I'm growing again. So that's my challenge for you today. Whatever you're doing for the, to get the word of God into your brain, I'm, I'm challenging you to do more. Unless you would say to me, Jeff, right now I am, I am thriving in my walk with the Lord. If so, hallelujah. But if you need a spiritual boost, and I suspect many of you do, some of you perhaps don't have a daily habit of reading the Bible for yourself beyond just a, a devotional here and there. We have a perfect opportunity for you. We've, we've made copies of a, a Bible reading plan that will guide you through the whole New Testament in a year. That's, that's only about a chapter a day. That's only about five minutes. You can pick them up in the welcome center at the welcome desk on your way out or Afterlife Group, I challenge you to do that. If you're already doing a chapter a day and you think, I've never read the whole Bible, it'd be a great time to to start reading through the Bible for yourself. You can find uh, Through the Bible in a Year plans online. Or or maybe you need to do something different to, to write down the things you're learning or to meditate on God's Word. But whatever it is, get the Word of God into your mind. What are you going to do this year to be transformed by the renewing of your mind through studying God's Word. God has given us everything we could possibly need to live a triumphant life. But before we can do that, we need to learn to use this. Are you willing?